This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 112, Oaf with Cole Worley. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. What is this today? What is this is a weird thing today. Cuz let me let me go over the things that are happening today. Okay. We're a Twilight Imperium podcast. Mm-hmm. But we're this isn't really a thing about Twilight Imperium. There will be some Twilight Imperium there will talk be some at the Twilight end of the Imperium. episode. But this is kind of about we we are eventually going to talk about root. That's like a thing that we're right. going to get to root. But we're kind of not even we are going to talk about root too, but we're also not talking about root today. There will be some root talk towards the end of the episode. So like how far removed from the thing the we do we, we're known for doing a thing and now we're like three outside of that one thing that we do. Is this game are we going are we like talking about what we would call game 4 today? What is happening? So Essentially, what happened was we went to PAX. It was really fun. And then Cole Worley had this really cool game called Oath. And me and Matt, I think we were going to talk to Cole just because we were like, oh, we should get an interview with Cole. Yeah. And then we also just like stood at their booth and watched him show other people how to play it for like an hour. And we were just like completely transfixed with yeah, it. And we fell in love. And we've already been getting just like more and more into just leader games as mm-hmm. an entity. And so, yeah, th- today is the culmination of just like, you know what? I love this thing. And this is a show about us just being really into a thing. Right. And so today we're talking about a new thing that we're just like wicked into, which is his new board game, Oath, that he was prototyping. It's so cool. Uh, and showing off at, at a... Packs unplugged. Yeah. Um, so some things that we should stress, um, this is not the final version of the game, obviously. Right. It's still like kind of a ways out from that. Um, so a lot of the things that he will describe, they might change. Who knows? We'll see what happens with it. Uh, the first part of the episode is essentially Cole uh, teaching us how to play, going over basically all of the nitty gritty details of the game. And you learn a lot of really good stuff from that. Surprisingly... And- not bad for an audio only format. Like yeah. su- surprisingly yes. easy to follow if you're if you're kind of tuned in. But I will say if you get a little bogged down by information overload in the first like 20 minutes of this interview, don't worry, it doesn't like stay that way. Right. You, you should jump ahead to the next kind of section yeah. basically. Uh so the second half of the episode is us interviewing Cole. We talk more about Oath. We get kind of in-depth and a little theoretical about it. Uh then we start talking about Root and by we, I mean Cole. Cole right. basically just, just like unloads. Um, <laughs> this and is then, Space Cole's peace whirlies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> where, I mean, essentially me and Matt are just kind of like lobbing the ball back to him for like the <laughs> next great thing for him to unload on. So it's pretty, it's it's really, really amazing. Um, Root, we talk about Root a bit. We talk about Twilight Imperium and kind of just like a fun way. Um, and then, yeah, that's kind of the episode and it's really good. Yeah, I'm super excited for you all to listen to it, to just do a little bit of bookkeeping stuff. I mean, if this is like your first time listening to us, stay tuned. We have a tournament coming up, a 216 person Twilight Imperium tournament. And yep. if that sounds insane to you as an outside observer, it is. And we are terrified. Right. Uh, but we're doing it anyways. 
And that starts in January. So look forward to our kind of coverage of that. You know, last year it took four months to get through the entire tournament. We'll see what this year looks like. Yeah. Also, if you're just new to our show in general, we talk about Twilight Imperium most of the time. We also have kind of started branching out into other games. We talk about Dune. Um, We will be talking about Root hopefully in February is kind of the target to start those episodes. And then who knows, maybe probably this game Oath when it comes out. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. I'm almost, obviously we can't ever guarantee anything, but I'm like leaning super far away from maybe and into like, I'm I'm talking about this game when it comes out. (laughs) If you've been with us for a while, there are probably several moments in the, especially the interview part where you're going to feel like, oh, wow, he's making a game. He made a game for us. We talk about. (laughs) like all the time (laughs) he just is giving us a gift that we've been asking for our whole lives and didn't know it Um, so anyways let's kick it over let's let him take over this is gonna sound like you're just diving right in and you are this is uh we're leading right off with cole basically just giving us the rules dump the rules explanation of how oath is and it's not just a rules overview it's like having to explain what the heck oath even is because that is a bit of a thing in itself so please enjoy that Uh, also one small note this is not this is not my favorite type of note but um we did uh we just recorded this at pax like at a coffee table um so there are it's not perfect um it's not it's it's not too bad. I just want to no. go ahead and throw out. Don't there let are a if this is your first time listening to us. Don't let this recording be indicative of what you what our standard of quality is for right. all of our episodes because we were in the middle of a convention center just sort of like recording on the fly. So it's not like it's in a professional setting. Right. So it, take that note. <laughs> yeah, we did not have like our recording arms with this or anything. So people are just holding microphones and moving them around a little bit. And there's no way. Yeah. Noises. There's no way you can get around that. Um, but the content of the episode, I will say, 100% is awesome. So yeah. let's get to it. So Oath is the game I've been working on for what feels like forever and it's been an active development since since root and it's a very strange and weird game um i think some folks after i did root were like oh you're gonna make mainstream family games now right. and i'm like no this i'm gonna make actually much weirder yeah stranger <laughs> game. so i'm going the other direction um this game uh came from a like moment uh that has been a really important touchstone in my thinking about games which is when i was teaching at the digital writing and research lab in ut austin the students, like for like a month, they would. Uh, it was like a fad for them to pass around flash drives with Minecraft servers uh-huh. on them, and the Minecraft servers would have many hundreds of hours of play inside them. Someone griefed and they destroy the world. The next group would build a cool tower, whatever. And when you load it into one, you just kind of didn't even know like the history of the place. Right. And uh, it beat any open world game I have ever. Like Breath of the Wild has nothing <laughs> on the open world experiences <laughs> of these Minecraft of servers. these like exquisite corpse yeah. style maps. Yeah. So I wanted to build a game, and it, it, exquisite corpse is something that you see a lot in single session uh, tabletop RPGs. Um, but I wanted to see if you could do that in a board game. So mm-hmm. the idea of this game is that it's a game that remembers. It's sort of like a legacy game, but instead of there being characters that you carry from one game to the next, here the game is the character. Right. So there, there's no player-to-player persistence. And I'll talk more about kind of the design history, but I want to just kind of take you through it. So uh, the quick overview is this is a political, very mean game. <laughs> takes about 45 minutes to two hours, depending on the experience level of the group and kind of the things that can happen. It is about, the way I've been measuring its complexity is it's about as complicated as learning two root factions. Yeah. So I'm going to measure all my game complexity in numbers of <laughs> in root number factions. Of That's so the it new grade. <laughs> it is easier to just learn like if you're just playing the cats that is obviously much simpler than what's going on in oath it's a little bit like sitting down for a game of root and learning both the woodland alliance and the eerie yeah so two like kind of offbeat factions uh that collectively like aren't that hard 
um, but it's it's more than your average game of root for the single player. Yeah. Maybe less demanding on the person running the game. Right. Um, okay, so uh, for the radio audience at home, <laughs> what you're looking at here, the actual table space the game takes up is less than root by four. We're on like a coffee table right yeah, now. Yeah, we're, and we're like fits. on a coffee table. And, and we're doing it. Yeah. So there's like a long skinny map, and then players have these like half-size root boards. Yeah. I actually literally cut up old root boards to <laughs> make, to make these because <laughs> we use every part of the buffalo. Um, we'll start with the victory condition. So in Oath... Um, we're playing people who are trying to become the most legitimate rule uh, ruler of this land, right? This is a common theme in games I work on. Mm -hmm. The game starts, <clears throat> and this purple player that I'm calling the Commonwealth kind of rules and owns everything. One of our players is going to be a citizen of this Commonwealth. The rest will start as exiles. You get points every turn based on a condition. This is called the Oath Condition. A uh, little social contract theory. This is your promise to the people. The people right now in our game, uh, they love they love militancy and conquerors. So the player with the most sites will, will score a point at the end of their turn. Mm -hmm. And it's really that easy. At the end of the turn, if you have the most sites, you're going to advance your little victory point marker on this track. At the end of the game, so the, the game will end randomly on anywhere between the fifth and the eighth turn. Uh -huh. uh, it's a little old-fashioned. There's a lot of design sensibilities in this game that are old-fashioned. Right. Uh, so basically, at the end of that thing, whoever has the most points wins. If the Commonwealth wins, if Purple wins, then you then go to a second tier of scoring, and the tiebreaker is the player that was the best citizen, the most mm -hmm. helpful citizen. But that's it. Most victory points wins pretty straightforward. Yeah. Now, in Oath, there are actually four victory conditions. Only one of them will be active as the Oath condition. The rest of them are hidden in the deck, like dominance cards. Right. And so a player, if they stumble onto one of these cards, these cards are called Visions, they can then try to like tip the table over and win on one of the other buried victory conditions. Right. If that happens, the next game will be played under the new victory condition. So if you win by like going out to the desert and starting a death cult, yeah, and you like your death cult achieves supremacy and the death know, cult is now in charge. The death cult for the next game, yeah, we are all loyal acolytes of the death cult, <laughs> and and we can kind of like and, and the game will have a very different character because it's all going to be about like the management of secrets. Yeah, right? yeah. So so basically, those are the four primary axes of the game. Uh, speaking of that, I'll say too: at the end of the game, the victory condition might change. Uh, also, the map, what is ruled by the tarot, by the winner, will seed the board and essentially create the, the starting map. Mm -hmm. So think about like the end of a game of TI, like the M the final empire. Yeah. The next game takes place within that within empire. That so that's empire. The, the start of the map. So you can see a kingdom grow and build over three or four or five games right. if the same sorts of players rule. But if someone wins without like the ancient city that was the you know yeah. titular capital or whatever then that is going to get lost right. and it might get rediscovered later. So you get those kinds of like hmm. slow changes. What's, but what's in your, like in going over that, like what is the like amount of time that passes? Every game is about a generation or a generation okay. and a half. So I'm thinking like 20 to 35 years yeah. or so. Uh, and you know, the, the player connection from game to game is informal. You're just a color. You're sure. not anything but, um, but if so, usually traditionally we have the player who won the previous game play the citizen role at the start of the next yeah. game. And so if they keep winning the game, it's like a dynasty. Right. right? You know, and you can kind of how players sort of like build the metagame sort of feeds into the way the game, yeah. you know, yeah. works itself. Really, a lot of this game has to do with um, and I'll talk about this more later, like. How do people how do people talk about games when they're not playing games and then building a game that is really responsive to like those conversations? Yes. 
Uh, okay, so you you just almost made me cry saying that. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I, I it's funny. I I talk occasionally about how there was a point in my career as a player where I realized I like talking about and thinking about games more than playing, playing them. Yeah, and at that point I knew I was like a lost soul. Like, yeah, it was just, right, you know, right. I was forever doomed to design. That's the thing and, I've and, seen in reviews of Root is people are like, playing was actually very frustrating and made me kind of go crazy. But at the end we talked for four and a half hours about all of the intricacies of what yeah, we had just and done. That, that could not warm my heart more. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so that's kind of like the, the general overview uh, in terms of thematically and the goal. Every system in the game has to account for that big meta goal. Yeah, which is why this has been such a hard game to design. So, like for all the turnover and all the ambition of it, essentially, there's all this math stuff we can go into. But it boils down to the game has to be playable in like 15 or 20 cards, which is a very small number of mm -hmm. cards. I mean, it's like a love letter amount of cards, yeah. right? So, in the game, it's a tableau builder where you are building a single tableau and you are fighting for different controls of this tableau. Mm -hmm. And the tableau, like a lot of other tableau builders, is changing how players interact with the rest of the game. So on the center of the board, there is this single tableau that is every uh, group of cards is linked to a location on the board. And then players can maintain a small tableau, mm -hmm. which uh, only they can, can, uh, can, can use. And then as players move around, it's like they carry their personal tableau with them. It supplements the tableau of wherever they are at. And also, if you rule territory, you can use those cards um, when you're not present remotely. Uh, so basically, like there is a tableau and we're all kind of like fighting over control of different chunks. And there, it might be that several of us are using the same cards. Yeah. So just as a general engine, know that that's going to be something we're going to talk about. All right, cool. So that's, that's the general overview. Okay. So at the start of your turn, uh, you, every turn you kind of follow through this procedure. If you're a citizen, you only get two actions. If you're in exile, you get three, but mm -hmm. that's the only difference. Um, so in the influence section, uh, your character, your avatar, your pawn is on the board and they're very charming. So the first thing that they're going to do is, uh, collect influence. Now, uh, there's all this favor on these six banks. So many things in the game, it's a legacy game sort of where nothing is ever destroyed or thrown out. Yeah. That ethos extends to the design itself. Basically every game economy here is zero sum. Things move through the right. slosh around the system. So at the start of the game, um, at the start of each turn rather, your pawn will uh, sort of like hang out with one card that is at the site and will draw favor. Now, if you don't have any matching cards in your personal cohort, you just take one influence, one mm -hmm. favor, sorry. If you have one or more cards, you get two, or you can take a little magic disc, which does something different. So basically you get income at the start of your right. turn. Okay. Now, in the action phase, uh, you take two or three main actions, depending if you're an exile or a citizen, mm -hmm. and then you get any number of kind of like small minor actions. Those minor actions can interrupt other things. There's a variety of them that we get access to later. I'll talk about them when we talk about card anatomy. Yeah. So let me go through the main actions. There are five main actions in this game. The most important action is the play action. Uh, it's, it's like both the most important and also the worst, because when you're taking the play action, you're usually not winning but you just need options. Yeah. The play action is also the most complicated action in the game. And after I describe it, we're going to like breeze through the rest of the actions. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in order to take actions in general, you expend effort and you have a little disc that's on an effort track. So you have a disc on an effort track. And when you take actions, you always expend an amount of effort. Yeah. Now, when you can't expend any more effort, when you get to the far right of your track, mm -hmm. you have to take the rest action, right. which is the simplest action in the game. You Reset. just whoop, slide yeah. it back to the left. Now, 
for folks at home, on this effort track is also where you store your war bands, the mm. people, you know, your, your armies. And you can't advance your effort track if there are armies being stored on it, right? Okay. So the more you're carrying with you, the more you have to rest. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty obvious stuff. So let's start with the play action. So the play action is you spend an amount of effort, and then you draw twice that many cards. So mm -hmm. if you spend two effort, you'll get to draw four cards. Um, you can draw from the top of the deck, the top of the game's main deck, or from the discard pile in the place where you are. Mm -hmm. So the board is divided into three locations, uh, three regions, the cradle, the provinces, and the hinterland. And each one has a discard pile associated with it. So if you draw four, let's say, you would take four cards from that discard pile, if you wanted to draw from the discard pile. And you then race for the galaxy style. You can look at all four of them. You pick one that you want to keep, and then the rest get discarded. Mm -hmm. Now, when any card is discarded, it always follows the discard rule, which is that you discard it to the discard pile of the next region out. Yeah. So from cradle to provinces, from provinces to the hinterland, from hinterland back to the cradle. Mm -hmm. Cards always stay in play. So that's the first part of the play action. The second part is you have to decide what you want to do with the card. There are three things you can do with any card. Uh, you can play it face up on your cohort. You can only have a maximum of three cards here. As a minor action, you can always throw away your own cards. Yeah. You can also opt to play it to the site if there's capacity. Every site has a capacity. It's a number of cards from zero to three. So if there's capacity, you can play to the site. And when you do that, the people of the card are very happy with you, and they'll give you a dollar from their bank. Mm -hmm. Now, each of the six banks in the game is associated with the six suits of cards. Yeah. So I just played a little yeah. Nomad, the Fast Steed, out on, by the river. And it, when I do this, the Nomads are very happy with me, so they give me a single favor. Now, the third way of playing a card is you can play it face down in your cohort. Now, you don't really have a hand in this game. Mm -hmm. What you do is you have face-up cards in your cohort, and you also have face-down cards. A face-down card is a deferred play. At any time, even during this turn or future turns, I can complete the play action mm -hmm. as a minor action because I've already spent the action. Right. A few turns. On your turn. On my turn. Sure. Okay. So I can move somewhere different and then play it there or I can, you know, save this as a nasty surprise for later or something mm -hmm. like that. But you only have a maximum of three cards here. So if you're holding three nasty surprises, you're not good at Doing anything, anything yeah. because you don't have any cards out. So there's a real... Like if you've played Premier, there's a very high premium around how many cards can you hold your hand. Yeah. And, the, and, and that doesn't really grow with some very small exceptions. Okay, so that's the play action. Um, there are a couple small notes. So you can draw from the deck. However, the first 25 cards in this deck are seeded with five visions. When you draw from this deck, you draw one card at a time. And when you hit a vision, you have to stop. Mm -hmm. And you have to tell everybody that you've pulled a vision card. You can, you know, faint or something. However you want to dramatize it is fine. <laughs> so, but you have to announce that you've drawn a vision card. The vision cards have giant Vs on the back because I'm obsessed with Thomas Pynchon. Um, <laughs> so the vision cards, uh, the way they work, when you draw one, you don't have to take it. It could be discard. You could discard it. They can interplay normally. Mm -hmm. But the moment you draw it, you do need to adjust the vision track by one. Now all future draws in the main draw deck will have to you have to expend an additional effort equal to the penalty. Mm -hmm. So this deck, this big deck, is going to get a lot more expensive to draw from as yeah. the game continues. Does that make sense? That does. Yeah. Okay, those are all the rules for the play action, which is by far the most complicated action in the game. So travel is quite easy. So when you travel, you look at where you are and where you want to go, and then you pay an amount of effort equal to the movement cost. Mm -hmm. So if you're jumping from one zone to the next, you pay two. If you're jumping two zones, you pay four. Mm -hmm. If you're moving within the zone, it costs one to move within the cradle, two to move within the provinces, three to move within the hinterland. 
those zones are indicated on the yeah, map. Yeah. Uh, those prop prices are indicated on the map. Uh, okay, so that's travel action. Easy. Easy. Uh, when you travel, if you have a bunch of guys at a, at a site, you can suck them up with you and take them with you. you okay. Um, in general, all the people that you, all the warbands you have will stay on your player board. When you rule a site, you gain the ability to garrison there so you can leave guys behind or whatnot. Uh, muster. The way muster works is you spend an amount of favor at one card in your site. And then you uh, get two warbands for every favor you spent. So if I spent two here on this beast card, I would get four warbands mm-hmm. into my into my thing. When you muster, you can only in general in this game you can only interact with cards that don't have resources on them. Mm-hmm. As soon as there are resources on a card, the card is like locked out. Okay. Yeah. Cool. That's the muster action. Okay. The fourth action is campaign. Now, campaign is a bit of a funny action. Uh, most games have uh, attritional battles or uh, battles where the stakes are very small. So, like, in Root, yeah. a battle might be several actions, even over several turns. Yeah, yeah. In TI, battles are long or right. can be quite long, uh, but ultimately you're fighting over one system yes. with the broader consequences of that battle handled by the general action structure of the game, right? right? right. Oh, that pivotal battle led to the fall of your empire, but it did take you, like, three turns to actually go yeah. conquering all Do of that. Do everything else, right. Um, Oath doesn't work like that at all. So, because Oath takes place in kind of a swords, so the way I like to explain the theme of this game is it's like swords and sorcery sorcery by way of Jim Henson. Um, So it's a little dark, but but because it has like an early feudal character, Mm -hmm. I wanted the battles to be climactic. Right. And the action structure of the game is so tight that they need to like ripple through the whole battle. So the way battles work in Oath is when you take the campaign action, um, the first thing you do is you like declare what you want. And you can target, like, tons of stuff. Mm. So the game system will figure out what the difficulty of the battle is. Okay. You'll have a little bit of back and forth depending on modifiers. And then essentially how it works is you roll a die, which modifies this, and then you can kill your guys to, like, increase your military advantage. At a four or higher, you get half of what you want. Mm -hmm. At a six or higher, you get everything that you want. Yeah. So there's a lot. It's the way I, like, mechanically what's happening here is it's the battle system from Dune built incrementally and kind yes. of exploded right as opposed to being a single blind bid yeah um, but it actually a lot of the dynamics are quite similar yeah um, but it's possible for you to like target the entire board and like win it in a single fight hmm. right uh, one of the things I'm always hesitant about games with victory points because and I, I say this even with root because it, they sometimes produce um, sort of like coasting wins yeah we're like right. oh well like the big dramatic moment happened a turn ago and now i'm gonna like craft the boot to win right and you know that's that, sometimes that's the strength of the design but with oath i really wanted it to like end with someone snatching the gra- the brass ring right and so like at the end of the game you can fight take control of the whole map and like end the game and that like second it, yeah it feels like the, the climax of oath is very often at the last turn yeah uh, which cool. is something by, by design i wanted to see if we that in the game so the rest action i already talked about you just move your little effort disc all the way to the left on its track and the last thing you do is clean up now this is very important any magic that you've spent comes back to you it's like a battery any favor that you've spent is then given to the matching suit okay so all this is what i mean by all the money you've increased their power yeah you've increased them and they are now powerful next round okay okay so uh 
at the, you rule by controlling the most sites. You do that through the campaign action. You get victory points by controlling the most sites. Those are scored at the end of your turn. So at the end of your turn, if you control the most sites, you get a point. If you take that from me, then you'll also get a point. Mm -hmm. And uh, in this game, ties on these tracks are generous to the newcomer. So okay. whoever is the last person to take it gets it. Uh, the amount of points you get uh, you get depend on the round that we're at. So in the start of the game, you're only going to be getting like one point a turn, and then two, and then three, and et cetera. So gotcha. it'll, it ramps up. So it's possible to like wait in the shadows and then make a leap, mm -hmm. but the game might just end before you before get a you chance. Get to do the so there is urgency to things. Yeah. Okay, now there are four alternate victory conditions, and I'll kind of talk about each of them. So all the visions are worded like this. Three visions have been seen. You win the game at the start of the turn if this is true. Mm -hmm. And they're versions of, of the oath. So one of them is like, hey, the start of your game, the start of your turn, three visions have been seen, and you rule the most sites. Cool, you just won the game. Mm -hmm. uh, so here are the other three. One of them is you're the most popular. So what is popularity? Every card in your cohort will give you popularity equal to the amount of favor in their bank. Mm -hmm. So this is a bit of like a portfolio game. Yeah. So like, okay, you've got these two suits, so this is five and this one's three, so you're eight popular right now. Yeah. Uh, popularity is used for a couple different things in the game. Mostly it's used for that victory condition. Okay, so then we have these two cards. Uh, I have them as cards now. They will be dials or some kind of like okay. stable Other piece. Component. It's just, you know, cards are easy to print and cut. Uh, this is the royal blessing and the darkest secret. So these are called privileges. And you can buy them. Uh, they have a value. So, like, uh, the Royal Blessing is bought with favor. Mm -hmm. That favor is paid across uh, the market in a way that looks a little bit like a PAX game, or like Premier uh, or Rena, I guess. Um, so, when you buy the Royal Blessing, you have to pay more than its value, and then you take it into your, mm -hmm. like, into your, not your cohort, but just like into your player area. Mm -hmm. Uh, the Royal Blessing has a power associated with it. If you get the Royal Blessing, you can banish cards. When you play, you ignore capacity, and then you discard a card mm. of the site. Uh, in addition, if you have the Vision of Dynasty, you will win the game if you have this card. Gotcha. Um, the Darkest Secret works similarly, but you spend magic to get it. Mm -hmm. uh, and in this game, I should say, like, there is... There's a, we, we can talk about it later, but, like, we did a lot of thematic work to create a thing where you're like, is magic a real thing in this game? Is it not a real? Is it just about secrets? Uh -huh. It can kind of work on both ways, right? right. So we, we tried to create a platform that players could um, project, investigate, inhabit, yeah. but not like write thematic background and thematic, too much thematic text. Right. So with the darkest secret, you get the power to corrupt, which allows you at the start of your turn to take two coins from one bank and move them to another. Mm. And you win the game if you have the vision of faith. The gotcha. person with the darkest secret will win the game. Okay, so those are the four paths. Having the most sites, being the most popular, having the royal blessing, having the darkest secret. Cool. Okay, now, at the start of the game, one of us, and I'll select myself just because I've played before, will be the chancellor. The chancellor is a special role. This is, uh, the game isn't really that asymmetric. Yeah. The asymmetric is in one box to another. Right. And there's a very high amount of divergent or emergent asymmetry but the only starting asymmetry is one player is the, a citizen who has the chancellor placard everybody else is in exile mm -hmm. so uh the chancellor has a few rules so first of all i'm loyal i will always be a citizen uh secondly i use purple i will not use my regular meeples i'll use purple mm -hmm. and uh purple if purple wins on the victory points then the player with the most prestige will win the game Cool. So yeah. I, I'm like, I, I have a lot more pieces than you guys. Mm -hmm. I also, I only get two actions, but I do start ruling the entire board. Right. Okay. So I, there are a couple things about me. So one, I'm terrifying. If you're in my spot, only I can muster there. Mm -hmm. 
only me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so nobody else can muster from underneath me. I also have the power to police. Normally, when you take actions in the game, they always originate at your pawn spot. Mm-hmm. But with the power to police, I can battle remotely. So I don't okay. have to move as much. Um, my most important power, though, is the power to enfranchise. During my turn, I can make offers of citizenships to specific players uh-huh. or groups of players. I can offer you prestige. I can offer you magic. And I can offer you favor. Let's say I win the game. So if, I, if, if purple wins the game, the player with the most prestige wins. And I start with five prestige points. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning of the game, I am, for all intents and purposes, purple. Mm-hmm. But if I start losing and I need help, I might offer citizenship to you. I could offer you three prestige. When that happens, your victory point marker falls down to the prestige track at what I offered, and mine is subtracted. So if I offer you three prestige, I'm now down to two, and you've got three. Yeah. But you then flip your board over, and all of your pieces turn to purple. (laughs) All right? Now... You're, you're one of us. You only get two actions per turn. Uh-huh. You're always recruiting purple pieces, placing purple pieces. You're, you're, you're stuck with us. Uh, and so usually I'll want partners. Now, in this game, like Premier, it's possible everybody's a citizen. Uh, and that sounds like, oh, it's like a co-op. No, it's very mean. Yeah. Uh, because what will happen is if you get ahead of me on this track... I need to find ways to bring you down. Now, how do you get prestige? Well, there are a few ways. Some cards will give you prestige conditions. So ways that if they're on your cohort, only you. So this, uh, so for example, you've got an Inquisition uh, where if you discard matching cards from your cohort, you get prestige points. And if you've got that in your cohort, only you have that power. If it's out on the, the board, anybody who rules that or visits that spot gains that, that power. Um, you also, if you take over a new site by garrisoning it, you get a prestige point. If you spend some money, you get prestige points. If you cast some magic, you get prestige points. Cool. Um, let's say you get way ahead of me mm-hmm. and I'm going to lose the game. Well, that's very upsetting to me. Uh, and so I also, in addition to the power to enfranchise, I have the power to expel. I can kick you out. And if I kick you out, you go back to zero victory points. And it's bad news. But I have to pay an amount of favor to do it equal to your popularity. So if you're really popular, it's going to be very, it's going to be like impossible. Because in this game, having like $4 is a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And you can imagine it's pretty easy to get your popular above that threshold. But if you start being like, oh, I really want this power and I don't care that people hate people who use this power, you can expose yourself to getting kicked out. If you want to leave, you can also expel yourself, but you'll have to pay favor for all the magic and war bands that you're stealing. Because they're going to convert back to your color. Yeah. But all the lands that converted to purple, they'll stay purple. Right. Because they're on my team now. <laughs> okay, cool. So that is everything. That's, That's all the rules. Uh, and I think we're going to get to, get to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Goodbye. <laughs>All right, so me and Matt again. Um, we're just going to interrupt the episode real quick. This is about the midway point. At yeah. this point, we are playing. I like saying it like that, like it's in the present you're, tense. You're, like, you're here with us, and we're playing, and yeah. this is ghost Matt and Hunter sitting over each other, over right. gold, Cole, Matt, and Hunter's shoulders, and we're saying, ooh, look how much fun they're having. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we played about a full round of the game. We also saw a lot of it being played. Yeah. Um, again, we sat at just their booth. They did multiple run-throughs, and we watched just for like an hour. Yeah, we kind of we I mean, like, burned a whole day of packs just kind of like looking, looking at, at it. this like, thing <laughs> um but yeah so we did play it um it felt very good to play um a lot of the implications of like the nitty-gritty yeah. we did not really get to see that yet i mean imagine your first game of twilight imperium yeah. where you're like is this space risk maybe this is space risk right. and then like later you're like oh it's not space risk at all right this game feels like that except for you don't even have a thing to call it you don't even right. get to go is this this you go what is the what am i doing yeah 
I love it, but I, where am I going? And right. like, you can feel that you're going to uncover that and unpack that as you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I pretty much was just like completely blown away by just like how, um, how much I was like familiar with it, but could, but not familiar with it at right. the same time. Like right. nothing about it was like, Oh, I've never, ever seen this, but I just had never seen this assembly right. of all of these things at once. So yeah. Um, it's like when that uh, that new Tesla truck came out, and it's like I know what trucks are supposed to look like, and and I know that that's a that's a negative example usually, but it is right. that when you see that thing, you're like, wait, what is that? Yep. It's like, oh, well, it's a car. It's like, no, no, sir, sir, that's not a car. It's like, no, trust me, it's gonna drive. It's like <laughs> you're gonna have to prove some things to me before we get there. Yeah, yeah. I am super. Lo- I'll say this. I am super looking forward to seeing what late game yeah. oath is like, what yeah. it looks like to finish How a game around. Finishes, yeah. Uh, or yeah, finish the whole game it, and put it away even. Cause that's part of the game. Right. Anyways, obviously we could just start we talking just about, we could just forever, do this, but again. let's get into the rest of this interview is actually more like untethered. Like we've, we've played around and now we're just going to like talk about fun stuff. We talk about, Oath. we talk about root. We talk about twilight Imperium. Yeah. So um, one real quick thing before we go away, um, our holiday spectacular, which is like an annual, like kind of yeah. Christmassy special show that we do every year. We've done two of them so far. This will be the third one. That is going to be on December 22nd, live on our Twitch. If you want to just follow that, Space Cats Beast Turtles. Um, and then we'll probably put it out as a YouTube video like a couple days later. Um, but that'll be super fun. Please check that out. It's like one of the, our silliest things that we do every year. This is the third it's one. It's kind of my favorite thing one. we do. It's really um, great. And maybe because of the anticipation of this year. Like last year, I wouldn't have said it's my favorite thing we do. But going into this year, I'm like, oh, this legacy thing that we have mm-hmm. going on is now my favorite thing. That if we you want to see people play Twilight Imperium as if it's like wrestling, <laughs> that's what it is. So anyways, here's the rest of our interview with Cole. And uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed just freaking hanging out with him. So here you go. Um, something that I've seen with this, especially just because you've been teaching it at this convention and kind of like people are just getting thrown into it. There seems to be a little bit of this game is quickly teachable. I mean, you, you, yep. you're boasting the 15 minute teach time and just you get into it. it and go. And then it's a sort of a delayed mastery. Um, mm-hmm. So I want to kind of ask you about in designing root and designing this, how are you trying to get your players to learn these games um, through like repeat play mm-hmm. versus the like games where it's like we sit down, we play it once, cool. I'll probably move on to another game forever. Whereas you you play very replayable games. Yeah. So I so there there are a few things at work here. So one of them is I so I care a lot about accessibility and usability. I want the the broadest audience possible to play the game, and I want the the the, the product design to help new players approach and play the game. Uh, but the only people I'm interested in playing this game are people who are going to really play the game. So someone that, so the, the, the question that I always ask when people are, you know, maybe they're interested in vast and mysterious manner or root, they come to our booth, they want a copy. The very first question I ask them is, do you like interactive games? And then the second question I ask them is, are you the kind of group that likes to explore a lot of the new games or do you like to really drill deep into one game? Because if you don't want to drill deep into this game, you really should not buy it. Yeah. And I, I love turning people away for that reason. Where I'm like, yeah. look, you know, there's nothing wrong. I mean, there are lots of cool things happening in design. To be a, a gaming omnivore and to kind of skip around through lots of titles, that's great. But that is just like not how we design. Yeah. So... Uh, when I taught this to people in the office, when I've been teaching to people at the con, oftentimes at the very beginning, like they'll get all the rules, they'll start playing very quickly. And then they'll look at me and say like, well, what am I supposed to do? 
Like I am completely <laughs> bewildered. Like there is no like in root. It was like, well, just get 30 points. You got to yeah. get 30 points. Mm-hmm. Here's how you get points. Just do that thing. Right. And in this victory points only win the game like 50 percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like you can play the entire game without planning to score a single victory point. <laughs> and there's a lot of different ways that like the end game can go down. And so you just kind of like have to like take a little leap and exist in that system. Uh, and in ter- so in terms of, de- of design priorities, when we think about usability, we are thinking about our players who play these kinds of games is the product lending themselves to the game. So I always use the example of like mid-aughts fantasy flight games because I think like in their token design, they're very un- uh, they're, they're quite unfriendly to players because it's like oh little dark muddy graphics is that a disease token or a peasant token right. i can't you know after it's worn a little bit you can't really tell if we're playing at like a tavern where there's like low or yellow light mm-hmm. it like <laughs> washes out all the saturated colors and it's like no and that, so i compare that to something like 18xx games mm-hmm. where the really good 18xx publishers have very clean and flat information design where it's like it might look a little ugly to someone who doesn't know the genre but it's or, or another example is like advanced squad leader like this is designed for people who really like these types of games and it's the same reason like everybody plays with like what are they the Staunton chess pieces or something right like very clean information design so that's what we want to talk about usability in terms of accessibility um, I do want to make it so it's easy for players to know the rules teach the game Mm -hmm. but I'm not trying to make this game seem like it's for people it's not for so like our whole approach at leader and, and, and my brother and I's approach at whirly gig is there's a small population of gamers who likes these sorts of games. We make games for them. And if anybody wants to join this tribe or join this group, awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> but but also like we're not the we're not making games for everyone. Yeah. Well, and the the beauty of what you tend to do is you lean more into that strategic depth. If you're going to dig into this game, you're going to keep finding new and new places to go mm. rather than the people that just want a uh a mechanical depth, and when I say mechanical depth, I literally mean just in sheer number of components and yep. sheer amount of stuff. It's like, oh, I just have to understand all these billions of components. Your things always seem to be like, I have to understand the relationship between these components way more. The way I think about uh, the school of modern neuro design right now is um, I've hidden an action somewhere in this game. Can you find the free action that I've hidden? Right. And it might be like a chain of conversions that leads you to get that free or whatever. And there's a little bit of that in games I've worked on. Like Pamir is very much about like the management of free actions. Mm-hmm. But the central tension is how players relate and can push on each other. And it isn't about like mechanical obscurity, it, even though the games are opaque. But the opacity comes from knowing how to relate to the fellow players and to the game system itself. Right. I want to go back to something you were talking about um, how the victory point track, like 50% of the time games are won that way. Uh, how do you feel, and I feel like I've heard you talk about this in relation to Oath a little bit already, but king making mm-hmm. in Oath, what is, uh, what's your philosophy with that? And does like is that something that you've kind of solved for? Do you feel like it's a part of the game? Do you want it to be a part of the game? So every product I've worked on, I will usually have like a thematic argument or like a constellation of thematic arguments that I'm trying to make with the game. Uh, and that's true of Root, and that's true of Pamir, even though one has cute animals and the other one has, like, geopolitics and yeah. 19th century Central Asia. Um, but you, my games also, I try to put in mechanical arguments that have to do with games and, you know, what I think games can be about and uh, in terms of the, the mechanical elements. And this game, more than any game I've done, is about kingmaking yeah. and about 
the feelings that we freight onto the victories of games. So the way I've been thinking about it, and for more, I'm literally preparing a GDC talk about this right now, <laughs> is that um, most games present uh, a judgmental victory condition. Right. You played the best, you won, your ELO now reflects that victory. <laughs> but ultimately, like, you know, someone asked me, like, oh, well, how do you define games? And I'm like, oh, well, they're de decision spaces that adjudicate the winner. That's all they do, right. right? Games decide the winner. Like we we sit down as players, we leave as one winner and four losers or whatever. Right. Um, and I think that's true. But what 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 I've been thinking about and kind of developing this is that there's a there's a tension. I, I talked about this in the last talk I gave at GDC about king making, mm -hmm. um, which which I think you you can find online with a little bit of hunting. Um, that you need a victory condition. Victory conditions are the most important rule of the game because they orient everybody within the story of the game. They are its dramatic tension. Yeah. So in order for the game to work, you like need all the actors to be working in good faith towards the victory condition. At the same time, the, the story that is being created is more than the victory condition. Mm -hmm. And so there's a, there's a paradox at work here, right? And it's a little bit like, you know, when you're performing a play, the script is the heart of it, yeah. like it's the words. But sometimes the thing that is created with those words is greater than the words and you ad lib or a little like last minute thing strikes you. And like that's in the in the space of a war game, like that could be the moment of kingmaking, right? right? And so most games have a judgmental framework for victory, which is fine, including my own games, including Oath for that matter. But what I'm trying to do with Oath is provide a different conception of victory, which instead of being judgmental is consequential yeah so how the how the game ends determines the way the next game goes and so i'll tell you just like a brief story of something that happened we uh one of the people in our office uh patty win is who's a uh, a total fiend at this game um <laughs> she won like three games in a row and had built essentially this like massive empire like all the cards were out like you, you're starting the game without taking play actions because the board is full mm -hmm. and it's like this is her like she has held this game together <laughs> And, uh, and always thrown away her rivals. And so at the beginning of the game, she enfranchises the, our developer, Nick um, uh, Brockman, who's fabulous. And he uh, wheedles his way into a position of influence. And suddenly it's clear to Patty that, like, she can't catch up. That, like, Nick is going to be, like, you know, essentially it's like uh, he, like, married into the royal family. And now he's going to be the yeah. one. And so uh, a player attempts a vision. And it's a little bit of a long shot. But Patty lets that person win and it's a very clear choice of like <laughs> patty's last turn i can i can let this brat take over my empire or maybe i'll like pledge to the to the crazy death cult that's starting yeah. out in the fringes wow. of the empire and so that player wins yeah. uh who's played by ted our like our young new operations guy <laughs> wins the game and patty you know so she decides to you know to what, what is the expression you know spite the nose to the face or something yeah we're like the empire is in ruin it's gone it right. like it evaporates because she didn't defend it and nick who had victory stolen from him was okay with it it was actually yeah. like and he's you know he's a great player he's not going to care about stuff like that but actually like it told a very compelling story yeah, of like right. this is how the empire fell yeah and you know what one of the things that we want to do and like maybe a little upgrade kit or something is provide a little notebook where the victory uh, the player who wins you know takes the pen in the notebook and can write like a sentence that yeah. just says like oh yeah. i won i beat bob again oh. whatever or you can make a comic or you can write a little bit mm -hmm. but like that's a story. And that, so like, there's this funny thing. This is what I mean about like the metagame being important where yeah. um, 
in a legacy game, legacy games tend to be very literal, mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, like I am traumatized now, so I can't go to that city, which is a really cool effect. But in this game, like the story of that empire falling will reverberate in future games very subtly. You don't have to know it to play the game. Mm -hmm. But for someone who wants to, who, for the group that is actually playing the game and exploring it, that's part of the background then. And maybe, you know, you'll, you'll tell stories about the game for a few sessions and then you'll forget about it. And then like a weird card that was very important in the Empire will come up and you're like, oh yeah, I remember when this card like <laughs> led to this thing. And so what, what we've tried to do with the theming is provide cards that are general and very, very specific, but don't contain a lot of like lore. Mm -hmm. So Kyle and I have spent a lot of time thinking about the lore of this game, but we are not putting any of those notes in the game or very right. few of them in the game because we really want this to be a setting the players inhabit. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about that world, that, that, that lore that you're not putting in in the world mm -hmm. that you're kind of creating. And, and the, the art style is obviously very Kyle Farron. I mean, it's, it's, it's all Kyle the same. It's all, it's all these kind of like cute to a point. And then you're like, oh, but then there's also this like, what are we actually doing here mm -hmm. with these cute characters? Uh-oh. Um, how does that contribute to this kind of the rest of this goal of like getting the, the players to invest mm -hmm. in that story over time. So we have, in order to explain this, I have to talk like a little bit about how leader games works. We're a very weird game company. So we essentially are like an informal partnership. We all got like our bonuses are tied to all the games. So like root, I don't get like a huge royalty when root come, when root does well, everybody does well. Like, mm -hmm. and so like basically all the things that we generate in studio are like, they're owned by Patrick, but they're also Patrick has structured things. So like we all do well when our games do well. And for that reason, we don't like although we, we take some outside submissions and we're willing to look at them. Mostly we are trying to build things from within the studio. Mm -hmm. So, Kyle, we're all on staff. We're all salaried. Like this is my day job. And when I started working on Oath, you know, I got on a call with Kyle and said, like, OK, this is what I want the game to do. And I would just send him like early in the design process, I would send him like imaginary session reports from like, I want this to happen. <laughs> what kind of world should we build for this? Like, is this a space game? Is this a medieval game? Is, is it a root style game? And what we, so in terms of building the theme, we had all these concerns. So the big one was anachronism. So at the end of the game, uh, the suit that won, and every suit represents kind of like a ideological and cultural framework, um, more cards from the card library are added to the deck so which is sort of like forward progression right oh look now we've got airships something like that but we really didn't want it to be nonsensical and so we needed a setting that tolerated anachronism and diversity of of uh of operation of technology of of whatever really really well so that pushed us into a fantasy setting clearly right. but because we didn't really want like oh you've got a spearman i have a tank we did not want that to ever happen yeah, yeah. because it is always goofy <laughs> right. and then and i feel like most civ games are really bad at explaining like cause Why and effect yeah uh, the exception here like i love i'll just quick shout out to uh bios origins the new eklund civ game is insane and it's insane <laughs> because it like is actually trying to make those connections wow. right um so and, and he does it he does it in interesting ways one of them is like the the ruler and this is true of the the first origins game the winner of, of the of the era it's assumed that that thing takes over everything so it's like okay your uh your language group one we're all working within the broader framework of that language group let's go to like the question of religion or the question of ideology and then figure out which one becomes the dominant in that sphere um so what we wanted was a setting that 
tolerated those differences, that was good at explaining causation. And so we, we opted for a fantasy setting that um, a lot of the look of this game, and I think this will probably be the only time I mention it, is heavily informed by like literally like the book design of uh, the Perdane Chronicles, the Black Cauldron, the Book of Three. Wow. And so like <laughs> it uses all the typefaces from those books. Like we're really like, I, I just, I, I love book nerd stuff. And, I'm, and so there are lots of little citations of it in the game. Um, in addition, so we wanted like sword and sorcery pre-Tolkien or like non-Tolkien fantasy branches mm -hmm. by way of kind of a Jim Henson aesthetic, especially like Labyrinth, Black Cauldron, right. yeah. that highly emphasized like the weird, the monstrous, mm -hmm. um, but without racializing anything. Yeah. We don't want elves or dwarves yeah. or anything like yeah. that. But like, you know, just... We, and we want to kind of a broad world. We've also, I um, am a big fan of like uh, RuneScape and the Glorantha games. So I, I told Kyle, like, please, can you play some King of Dragon Pass? Can we talk about like that world and how deep it is? So there's a little bit of like a Bronze Age angle to a lot of this, too. Uh, and so we have found that this has been a tableau that has been rich enough that we can generate what will hopefully be about a 200 to 250 unique card list that will form the archive of the game right uh, that actually um i feel like i don't know if you explained this earlier but um i do remember hearing you talk about like what kind of box is this going to be is this gonna be like a root life cycle where we got the base game we throw in some expansions or yeah what, what so, is this gonna so look like? this is still in progress we're actually figuring this question out right now but i can tell you where our minds are and where i think they're going to probably end up so um we thought about building this into expansions because so that I mean people are like oh it's a cash cow but actually if you look at like the kinds of games that Paradox makes for right. instance mm -hmm. that method is very friendly to students making us uh, students studios making really ambitious games because it they're not cashing out. They're like, no, uh, Crusader Kings is actually a 10-year project, mm -hmm. and this is the only financial model that will possibly fund a project this big, right? Um, I mean, you know, like Caves of Cud and other things, I think there are early access programs that can do similar things. But so for us, we're like, okay, do we want to build this out slowly? The problem is, from the very beginning, the game can go in a lot of different directions. And so we've adopted more of a Gloomhaven-style approach where it will probably be one box. We don't have a price point quite yet. Yeah. It will likely be cheaper than Gloomhaven, um, but we're not sure. It'll, so it'll have some some price point, a single box with all the content inside the box. Uh, because the box comes with this cool scrolly map that will be done in neoprene, it, the box itself, uh, because folks who follow Pamir will be like, oh, look, he's putting another rolled game in. <laughs> True, another game of the rolled map. Uh, the box will probably be about the size of Western Legends, oh, okay. which is about as thick as Root, but like a little longer. Uh, just so we can roll that the, the map in it, but we should be able to get everything in that box. So we also wanted a box like I, again, I love TI, but that <laughs> box doesn't fit in any normal bag. Yeah. I can't like I, I have put it on my bike before and almost immediately regretted it. Yeah. Um, but it like we do want a box that you could like put in a bag, yeah. carry to a game night, put on a shelf. It's really, I mean, this is again what I mean by about like accessibility and usability. I always uh, when we get into that part of the training, I always start by telling everyone. Uh, the biggest barriers to play are, I can't remember how to play because the yeah. rules were very complicated right. and boy, this is going to take a long time to set up. Yeah. So if we can solve both of those things, yeah. the game will be played a lot more. And the, the core chassis in terms of the rules is pretty simple. Yeah. And then uh, we've done a lot of things in terms of the box design to get it the setup time to be under five minutes, likely under three minutes. Mm -hmm. And this has been, you know, with, with Root, um, 
because people were going to want to put the expansions in the box, we never really had the ability to do much with the insert. Uh-huh. But with Premier, Drew and I really wanted to make the insert work very cleanly. And so we've actually started working on the insert design right now. And like we are not wow. yet done with the game, but we and we have a person on staff who does 3D quite well. Mm-hmm. And so we are like working on the insert right now. Wow. We want wow. it to be very seamless and clean and like you will not want to throw it away. Yeah. Yeah. So apologies to Broken Token. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so talking about that kind of life cycle thing and this one kind of having maybe like a one singular vision, let's let's talk about Root a little bit. Where do you guys kind of feel like you are? You know, Underworld expansion is basically shipping out now to people. The Kickstarter yep. is get, getting it. Are, is, is that the end of where Leader Games sees Root? Do you, are you guys still kicking around ideas? Where are we kind of with Root? So uh, right now, let's see, It's we are in early December and we just got like our first container of the Underworld expansion. So people will getting it, start getting it in the next few weeks. There is so much of it uh, that it will take probably a couple months to ship everything to all backers. Yeah, so yeah. just, I want people to know that. Um, Root is tricky. We have a few system ethos like rules. And a big one is uh, no variance. And another big one is uh, everything has to work with everything else. Yeah. Now, this stops us from making cheap expansions. Right. Because if, if you just say, like, hey, we made, like, 12 variants, have fun. And also, like, you can't play with these two factions in the same game. Uh, it makes it a lot easier to develop new content because you, it's just, like, a function of multiplication. So with Root... Uh, every and I, I told us to Patrick, I was like, I want you to know what these rules mean is that every expansion will require exponentially more resources to develop <laughs> right. than the previous expansion. And, you know, in a few expansions, it'll be like there'll be more grains of sand in the world than like play. You know what I mean? Like we very quickly get to those extremely high numbers or the yeah. other way around. Yeah. Um, so uh, what, what, what I think what I'd like to do is I think we get two more expansions wow. okay. just in terms of our like our five year plan for Root is sure. I think we get two more two more expansions. Wow. And then it like it, it would be easier to rebuild a pyramid yeah. like out of boxes of root than that. it's just I mean it's just like it, it, it gets really nonsensical the the balancing battery for um, underworld in, in addition to all of our testing in the studio all of the testing with remote groups we actually hired people to come in and just play root like yeah. it was their job wow. for many days and we like I came they come in every day I give them a little clipboard and I'd say hey these are the six games of root you need to play today do it because wow. we need data and we had like a giant chart of all the different matchups that needed to be played yeah. and vetted and i would like supervise them if, if a faction was lagging behind we do like strategy breakout sessions because i'm not actually i'm not interested in like if a new player thinks it's balanced or not i'm interested yeah. in if the game is balanced right. so like if if a certain faction is lagging behind we'll have like a strategy breakout session yeah. where i'm like okay you guys are struggling. Let's talk about some principles of strategy and see, you know, what we can do, and then see how that was reflected yeah. on the on the scores. So, like the classic example is like cats need dominance wins. It's very important to how they yeah. win the game. Right. And if you play the game without touching the dominance cards ever, you're not going to see very many cat wins because like that's probably forty percent of cat victories right. are like winning right. on dominance. That is a thing they have to do. Yeah. Right. Um, so, you know, for the root content, uh, I mean. Really, a lot of this is us following the audience, right? So, yeah. like, we, I'm so happy with where Root is at right now. It, it's insane. I'm very, like, just, uh, I, like, the fact that a game like that could resonate as much as it does right. just gives me so much hope about the industry in general. <laughs> because, look, there's a breakout every year, but it's not a game like Root. Right. I didn't think that was going to happen. Right. I mean, it was so funny. Like, we, do, we just do not make games. Like, a lot of companies, and this is casting no shade on them, 
their whole model is about getting the hit, finding yeah, the hit. Right. We do not build for the hit. We build for our core audience. So right. it was just a very random and very lucky thing that we got we got a hit. Um, and so there's a lot of appetite for more factions. So I'm going to be building out the faction list a little bit. We have a few things in development that are just going to kind of like give people more options for two player games that then work in all the different player yeah. counts. And yeah, just yeah. so we have like a reach system now, which is a very easy way to figure out what faction combinations will be viable. Basically for every player count, there's a threshold and then every faction has a number of points. You just add it up and then you know if that combination's good. Mm. I wanna fill out that roster a little bit to give people some more combinations to play. Uh, and then we have a few other ideas we might be going, but I could see a world where we do one, maybe two more products over the next several years. And then we round it out with like a nice organizer and we're like, this is root. You know, if you, yeah, this yeah. is the whole thing. It, it's not something that we want to just like expand forever. Um, but it has been so fun playing all the new content. Like I yeah, can't yeah. wait for people to get it. I mean, this was, you're always like weirdly like four months in the past when you're doing game development because like over the summer we were playing root like every day, like two or three times mm -hmm. a day. And I have, I've had my root break and I'm like excited to show it at the next con or so. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Um, all right, Matt, where you want to go? From so uh, kind of getting into to that faction stuff. So you're talking about like there's, there's, more room for you guys adding more and more factions. Mm -hmm. Are those factions that you guys have already been sitting on the ideas of for a while? And and even from the like genesis of creating Root, you know, you, you packaged it with four. Mm -hmm. Was that like really all you focused in on at first? Like how far into the future do you guys see with these different factions so, and things you're adding? That's a great question. So for the original factions, we had, um, we had the four. And then Patrick and I like pitched back and forth to get the other two, mostly because of the scale that the original Kickstarter did. It was going to be clear that we could afford an extra couple months of development time. And we had a general sense of like how much time a faction takes. So it's like, oh, we can do two more. Um, I the original four came from Patrick's initial pitch. And they grafted onto some stuff I had been doing on Accessibility Warrior. So there was a lot of like, good meeting points there. And then uh, Root is kind of a, like a weird philosophical abstract game. And so we've always got like, okay, how would a secret society... So like one of the ones I'm working on right now is like kind of a secret society. And I'm like, how does a secret society behave in Root world? Like how do I graft it onto the world? And then I have, I have a, few other, a few other faction ideas I'm like kicking around. I... Um, and, you know, when Patrick was pitching the moles, we had like a hard time figuring out what they really were. And then I was like, OK, no, they're like interventionists. So like they're like a faraway interventionist. And that kind of like gave them a character to go through. Uh, but usually what will happen is uh, we have a pitch. We think about it and then we just ruminate for a really long time. Like, and I mean, actually, Oath had a similar way where like I pitched it to Patrick while I was working on Root. And then he was like, OK, cool. Think about it. And I just kind of like sat on it and mold on it and like pushed on it. And with the root factions, it looks really similar. So like right now we are like working on I'm doing air quotes working. Um, we're working on some root factions, but we're not making faction boards. We're just like talking, arguing about what might be possible and like theme and mechanical position. And like, is there a conceit we can build them around? Kyle might like do some fun drawings and we're like, Ooh, that kind of like, right, you know, yeah. we, we, we inspire each other back and forth. Um, but it will, it'll be many months before we actually start testing anything. Um, obviously, uh, we are a Twilight Imperium show. Um, first and foremost, you have some history with Twilight Imperium. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and a little bit about how maybe Twilight Imperium has influenced or resonated in your work? 
So yeah, I, I have a history with Twilight Imperium. I like I, I went through. It, it's like you know when you meet those couples who like had a long breakup but then also got back together. This is like and it, there's just like there's tensions and stories yeah. or whatever. I've got like a history with Twilight Imperium. So I um I got into games really young and also at a funny time. So like I started playing games, but we were like pretty broke growing up. So I was always finding like weird secondhand games. Yeah. And if you were playing games like circa 2000, you were at the end of the drought. So, like, there was nothing. Like, it was like, oh, Avalon Hill's gone. And, like, the weird Hasbro Avalon Hill sucks. Yeah. And, like, so you're always like, I want to get a copy of Titan, but it's always on eBay. And I can, will my mom drive me to, like, get a money order with all of my lawn mowing money that I can send to somebody? I mean, th- th- this was, like, very much, like, the, the gaming world that I, like, yeah. came up in. And I guess I was a little precocious or something because I just loved, like... I don't know the like indie hit like I wanted like oh have you heard of this game of Titan like are you into Radiohead it was it was in the same but it was like a very like hipstery culture I have with my friends around like finding old weird games so Twilight Imperium was the space game that was that you could get still that was like hey there's this little company called Fantasy Flight. They have this game called Twilight Imperium. I'm talking like second edition. I'm talking like second yeah, edition. Yeah. I'm talking like you could still buy copies of first edition. I remember when I bought second edition, I was like, well, I want second edition because it has the minis, which yeah. are on sprues that you have to like right. break off. <laughs> um, but I remember like, do I want the one with counters or minis? Like was the question. Yeah. And when we played it, we were like, oh, this is good access and allies. I love this. And we played, <laughs> we, we, yep. we, we played the heck out of Twilight Imperium second edition so much. I was so deep in that game. And I loved it. And then when the rumblings of the third edition happened when I was in high school, we were so into it that we like made one of our dads at work like printed off the rule book PDF. And we learned all the rules. So the moment that Twilight Imperium arrived at our local game store, we bought it and like played it that night. Yeah. We like bought it, got all the pieces set up, played it that night. Those pieces might have also been on Spruce. I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, For for the very first for the very first run of it. Um, And. We kind of hated it. <laughs> like it was because we had played a lot of 2E, a lot. Right. And when we played 1E, it was like, is this done? What we loved the system was awesome. Mm-hmm. But I just felt like it hadn't been play tested a lot. It's it, a freaking mess. It is like it is like a mess of, of a game. Yeah. And so we started fixing it right away. <laughs> like we, we like and one of the first thing and actually you can so this is I'm going to embarrass myself but I, I have not looked at this file in a decade but <laughs> I made a it's called like Casaspella. I have like a weird I have like a weird PDF that I it's like one of the first game related things I ever did the graphic design for. It's a single sheet rules variant that gives a TI2 style progression track mm-hmm. to TI3 oh, wow. and it's like deep in board game geek you can probably find <laughs> it if you like you can find uh, crap I wrote in high school on on board game pretty easy That's because great. I've been an active member since like 02 or 03 or oh, something <laughs> um, but so I like really wanted to fix it and then I when I was in college so and we, we were playing a lot of TI but we were always tinkering with it and trying to figure out the mm-hmm. right way to do it and then I remember I was very excited when Shattered Empire came out and then I was like oh this is also a mess because <laughs> it's just a bunch more optional rules yeah. and when I was in college I play tested with a group that was one of the fantasy fight play testing groups and it was a frustrating experience to say the least because they ignored everything you sent them they like clearly had like a way they wanted to do it yeah. and they just wanted us to rubber stamp so when you were very positive they would send you a lot more stuff and when you were negative they would stop talking to you so i did not have a good experience with that um and then but i still like ti and we actually we had all sorts of one of my favorite uh variants that we played with was um you uh the person who killed the most 
got two victory points and killed the second most, got one victory point. And the way you did it is everything you destroyed, you'd put in put front in of you. Yeah, you put in front of you, and then you would add up the resources at the end of the round to figure out who killed the most. But it meant, and this is one of my favorite TI fixes, that if I kill your Dreadnought, you can't immediately rebuild it. Yeah. Right. Because it's it's locked. It's right. here until it's the next it. round. Right. I, I love that little bit. So we were always making weird <laughs> variants like that. And then, uh, so I had actually a way of playing TI that I loved by the end of college. And we played very quickly. And then when I went to grad school, I played with some groups in Austin and hated the experience yeah. because they were playing with, they use distant suns. Right. They use all I mean, the different yeah, rules. Yeah. They use hate. all these different rules. And I played with like two or three different groups and I was like, this is horrible. And yeah. so TI went in my closet. I didn't touch it for years and years and years and years. And then right after I got hired by Leader Games, uh, this is a very long answer, but I'm, I'm going for it. Yeah, yeah. Right after I got, or like right as I was getting hired by Leader Games, I should say Gen Con 2017, I was like at the hall before the show opened feeling like a little like dewy eyed about the hobby and how like, Oh, I guess this is maybe my job. <laughs> and I just happened to walk by fancy flights booth and it was like, Oh, a new edition of TI. Like this was like an important game for me. Yeah. I'm just going to buy it. I don't really have any money, but like, I'm just going <laughs> to buy this thing. Like as like a, like cool, you're in it now. Yeah. And so I bought it, put it in my car. And then when I got home the next week, I opened it up and was like, wait, did they fix this game? <laughs> and like the rule book, yeah, <laughs> the rule book was like good. There were no variants. Every change was like almost universally like just for the better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They had tons of races. Like the production was like yeah. really on point. And I started playing it again. And it's awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> we always it, word it as how the chef intended it. This, yeah, this yeah. Is it, the it, recipe. I do feel like I do. Like it's funny. People ask me sometimes about Premier Second Edition. And I'm like, this is actually closer to my original proposal. Right. It wasn't like where I got to. It was like, no, this is kind of how I wanted the first one to look in the first place. Mm -hmm. And with TI4, I'm like, this is what I wanted TI2 to grow into. Yeah. Right. And it, it's it's a goofier, like TI4 is more 80s than TI3. <laughs> and I, I always use the 80s as like, my design aesthetic is very much like games from the 80s. I yeah. love the weird wonky games and TI4 just like gives the wonkiness a big bear hug. Right. And right. so I always, you know, I, I think TI to me is important because it, it shows like, hey, uh, do big ambitious like storytelling driven games that give a lot of agency to the players don't use an event deck to tell your game stories yeah, like yeah. let the players tell the story right. and so there's like a lot of ti like kind of haunting my like thematic framework for games and it's a game i think about a lot yeah so that's yeah that's the story of me and ti in one place yeah that's fantastic we're gonna have to get like the timestamp for what you just said and send that to dane like dane please listen to just that part <laughs> for sure of yeah. that that's awesome um when you play ti so you're talking about like you you, you really invest in the kind of the, mm -hmm. the storytelling aspect of it what what's your character what kind of person oh my well, you, it, it, down, it depends you, oh yeah so, you embody? Is, so i like i have two things so one of them is like when some people play ti they'll like get dressed up and do the whole thing sure. i don't do that like yeah. i actually I, I like playing it like i play dune which is like hey everybody we're all sharks we're playing quickly uh -huh. but in terms of your gameplay i like to inhabit like the race i'm playing a little right. bit so like if i'm playing the, the barony is one of my favorite players to play because i love like like holding people down and knowing that I've got nothing to back it up. Like I start the game with one dreadnought and I'm going to park it in your home system and extract, like I'm going to like push you as hard as I can. Right. Um, and just know that like, this is really not going to last. And right. so like, I love the, the bluster of the barony is wonderful. I love the Hakan too. Um, especially because you can be very creative with yeah. the games, like financial incentives. For sure. And I think that is like, it's just a really special thing about playing them. Um, 
Oh, there's so many. My brother, who who, who just walked by, we played a lot of TI growing up. He always played the Mentac, okay. the, the Pirates. And what I love about, especially three, a lot of groups played TI three and they weren't like really aggressive. And so yeah. there's like there's one battle at the end of the game, right? Or you know whatever. And Drew. We like we played a lot of uh, the Game of Thrones board game growing yes, up. That was yeah. a very important game for me, and we played it so much and knew like we had such a, uh, a built-out meta that we could play it in about ninety minutes yeah. with, with five players or even six. Oh. And we would get through. We used to measure the games and like how many times did you go through your character deck? <laughs> I've gone through three times in one game, which means that you are you are fighting right. every yeah. every turn, every battle, every move action you or, you know right. every battle you have happens. Right. And Drew would, would play the Mentag and he would be like, "All right, we're fighting right now." Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he's like, "Okay, so my advantage is I'm good if I have like a single cruiser in a battle or whatever. I'm going to push myself into as many battles." Yeah. as possible and so when people play against Drew they're like what is happening to me <laughs> like they're like I thought the first three turns were just the turns where we just yeah. so I like people always complain about the opening of TI as being very boring and they're so wrong exactly. it's so good <laughs> Drew and I are kindred spirits yeah you just gotta you gotta force it like the only people sh who should be running away from combat are the Joel Nahr right. and they should be running away from combat yeah, right yeah. if you just let them like sit and build the all the moment they don't <laughs> yeah and so I love like Drew's like all right where are the weak players I'm gonna go find them yeah, like I'm gonna get yeah. right I'm gonna get right on their throats um yeah, yeah. yeah so I don't I don't know I haven't played um I played the plants which seem like kind of broken but I'm into it yeah. a little mm -hmm. bit and so I want to I want to explore them more some of the new races are pretty cool yeah cool, yeah cool. Um, I agree um, I agree so speaking of new races, we have a challenge. This is okay. this, this is our closing note. Oh yeah, yeah all right. Okay, cool. You've got so far. There's there's eight root factions yeah, yeah. Uh, that people are now kind of familiar with. Yes. Supplant so one of those into the TI verse. Which one would you pick? What do you oh, no. throw in there, and what is it? <laughs> put put them in their space helmets. And oh, what do they? Is, what do they look like? <laughs> that they built the rocket this ships made of wood. This is such a good question. <laughs> what do I want? What do I want out of this? Okay. Obviously, if the otters go to space, then there's going to be so much trading. Yeah, it's going to be so, it's, it's going to break everything. Okay, <laughs> so the one that Patrick would say is the vagabond. Mm -hmm. They're sure. like the single ship captain playing right. an RPG. Yep. And like, actually, so this is a weird thing. Like, I'll say one thing about the vagabond that I really like um, is that. I was not on board with the Vagabond until <laughs> until Patrick and I realized that we both love Magic Realm. And I was like, okay, cool. If you are existing in this, because he, like originally we had all these quest cards and it was very like staged. But I'm like, no, if you build everything as emergent, mm -hmm. then the Vagabond is going to feel like he's in a living, breathing world. But to be like a single ship inside the TI universe bouncing off and yeah. around would be awesome. However... Uh, oh my gosh, I can't do it. It's like too hard. Okay, so uh, you know what I would love? I would love the Lizard Cult in space because I want... Um, if you've played Here I Stand, one of my favorite things about Here mm -hmm. I Stand is there are four political actors who are like playing like the Army Navy game. Okay. But then on top of them, you have the Catholic Church and the Protestant Reformation, who are every control token in the game has a Catholic side and a Protestant side, and they're playing an area majority game on top of the strategy game. Yeah. And what I want is a religion that's like sitting on top of the TI game, where mm -hmm. like they don't have ships. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah, they're yeah. just trying to like oh, spread their ideology that. around, yeah. and I think that would be a very cool direction. Absolutely, to, to absolutely, I dig That's it. A great idea. Uh, well, I mean, thank you so much for talking to us. This was this was such a fun interview. This is my pleasure, man. Yeah, you guys yeah. have a great podcast, yeah, and yeah. I love like I was telling them before. I I love deep dives. I want more deep dives that's, of all descriptions in the hobby. That's what we do. That's yeah. it. So just, That's just all go as fault. Yes. <laughs> cool. Thank you very much.
All right, we're back in the future or the present or the past. Who knows where we are? Um, we're back in our we're in our room together. Oh, also, did we mention that did we were we recording we're this together? together? This is yeah. like the first time in a bit since the summer, I guess, that we've recorded an episode. That together. we've been That's in the same fun, space. It's a fun That's, energy. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you, Matt, what root faction would you launch into space? Ooh, well, I think the eerie is a super interesting. See, that's thing what to I was. Do. I think it's that just too. the most. It's the most different, like mechanically thing. Like everything else in Root feels like, even though like the Vagabond's doing a crazy different thing, it still feels like it's operating under the same procedure of just like pacing. Mm-hmm. But Eerie is just this completely other thing. I would love a faction in TI that was like, I'm fighting against myself the whole time. Never yes. mind what you guys yes. are doing. I'm just working on my thing, and I need you all to stay out of the way of that thing. But if that led to also the ability to do crazy steamroll, like if you just weren't worried about what other mm-hmm. players were doing and in terms of like your early to mid game, but if you like managed to keep yourself alive, suddenly you're like a powerhouse in the late game or whatever. Not even saying that that's specifically how Eerie games go, but just that's what I would like to see it in TI is like I stayed, I kept myself afloat and then here we go. Now I can like coast to victory in the right. end game. Right. Yeah. I love that. I think that's a, I think that's a very good one. I mean, I think almost any of them would are really fun to imagine yeah, as far sure. as Imperium factions. Um, okay. Well that about, that's, that's, that's our show. Us. Yeah. That's, that's how our show goes. That- um, actually, that's not how our show ever goes. Right. This is so this different. Is a completely different thing. If you are just checking uh, our show out for like the first time, like please stick around. Um, we are we are a mixture of goofy, silly, stupid stuff, and then like really heady like, theoretical strategy game. Talk. I mean, again, uh, maybe you don't know the history. If you see the episode number, you know this is one twelve. We've been doing a Twilight Imperium podcast for two years. Yeah. So to give you context of like what we expect to do with Root and what we're doing with Dune now, and like what we want to do with Oath. It's not your normal podcast where we like give a review of the thing. We're yeah. here to like eat it alive and and chew it up for like a while. Uh, so that's that's what we're that's why we're so excited for Oath because Oath is just that kind of thing that is designed for that. It's designed right. to just sit there and bake for forever. Uh, and it just feels it going. It feels new. It, it feels like something I have never seen before. Yeah. And that's, I think, what really excites me about it. Before we get to our own rundown real quick, we're going to kind of tell you about, about all the cool places you can follow us and stuff like that. Yeah, sure. Um, we just want to say thank you so much to Leader Games. Yeah, no uh, everyone that Everyone that is there, they're all they're all great. Like, they're all super great. Um, And especially thank you to Cole for being such an awesome guest on our show. Um, Please, if you're interested in Oath, Check out their website, follow them on their social medias yeah. and like just kind of keep your ear to the ground for more Oath stuff because they will be talking about it, I'm sure, as the year goes on. Um, and also like the there's a new Root expansion. What is the Root expansion called? The newest Underworld. One? Underworld. Yeah. Check out check out Underworld. Check out everything Root. Um, check out everything that they do because they just have such a good uh, game design philosophy. And honestly, we're just pretty smitten with them yeah. as a company. Yeah. That's Leader Games, L-E-D-E-R.com leadergames.com um all right so if you dug this podcast yeah. if you dug that interview uh please give us a rating on itunes apple pa- uh, apple podcasts uh let us know how you thought we did uh it were you know it improves our rankings and improves our visibility so that people can hear more about these great games and get more strategy insights on the games they love you can also follow us on twitter at space cats pod we do different updates and announcements there you can also find us on facebook at space cats peace turtles we have a twitch and a youtube hunter is full time for the show these days he does stream of different board games we'll definitely someday be playing oath on that stream Mm -hmm. we're going to be playing root and uh, some dune stuff but mostly obviously primarily we're doing ti streams and if you've never seen one of our twilight imperium streams 
I, I encourage you to do so. It is different than you would expect. I think most people hear, what, you want me to watch Twilight Imperium for eight hours? And right. it's like, well, first, you don't have to watch the whole thing. But come hang out with us for a little bit, and you'll you'll see that it's a bit more fun than maybe at the onset a TI, you know, sit down and watch thing could could be. We also have a Board Game Geek Guild. You can find it at boardgamegeek.com slash guild slash 3103. We're trying to amp that up a little bit. I say that every week, and then I don't actually put that yeah, much work Yeah, in what way are we I trying don't know. to amp I'm just that up. trying to pretend that someday we're going to know how to use Board Game Geek, and then, you know, that never happens. But instead of that, you can also find us on Patreon at Space Cats, Peace Turtles, and be a part of our different levels where you can kind of essentially work as a producer for the show at different involvements, whether it be with our streams or with the podcast itself but we want to include you in on the process and that's where our patreon comes into play and we also have a discord that you can join that uh, some of those patreon benefits are there but in general we're just there having conversations about all the different games we talk about so if you want to respond to this episode really the best place to come talk to us is uh is on our discord yeah so so come give us your insights weird little fact about board game geek did you know that that website was when they turned the internet on for the first time and they logged on to the internet and they were like what is this that website was already there <laughs> already like there. that it, it had been made sometime <laughs> before the internet existed and people are not really sure where it came from but yeah it was already online and people were like oh this and they haven't touched it since <laughs> Thank you for listening to Space Cat's Peace Turtles, and thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum.